Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Breast cancer is the number one killer of females ages 20 to 59. Many people believe that family history and genetics determines who gets breast cancer. Actually, this isn't true. In fact, 87% of women diagnosed with breast cancer don't have a single first-degree relative with the disease. Does hormone replacement therapy play a role in the cause of breast cancer? How about your diet or lack of exercise? And what proactive steps can be done to improve your odds of surviving after a diagnosis? Dr. Christy Funk joins us today to answer these questions and more. She's one of the country's leading pioneers on the prevention and treatment of breast cancer. Don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a board-certified breast cancer surgeon and co-founder of the Pink Lotus Breast Center in Beverly Hills. She's helped thousands of women through breast treatment, including well-known celebrities like Angelina Jolie and Sheryl Crow, who have all turned to her for her surgical expertise. She's a national best-selling author and sought-after presenter. She's appeared on many television shows, including Good Morning America, The View, Today, Dr. Oz, Rachel Ray, and is co-host on The Doctors. She's the author of the national best-selling book, Breasts, The Owner's Manual, Every Woman's Guide to Reducing Cancer Risk, Making Treatment Choices, and Optimizing Outcomes. Welcome to the show, Dr. Christy Funk. Hi, Dr. Friedman. Happy to be here. Oh, it's great to have you in there. Such an important topic. Let's start. Let's just dive right into some of these common myths regarding breast cancer. So many people think the disease has a genetic link. Why is this such a common belief? You know, it's propagated largely by the medical community, too. We always ask, you know, do you have a family history of breast cancer? And that's about the end of the intake. When they say no, they're like, okay, moving on to your hypertension. So <laughs> I think that the the idea, too, that this breast cancer and frankly the majority of cancers are largely under our control in the daily choices we make regarding diet nutrition and other lifestyle behaviors is fairly new in the thinking of some physicians certainly not the majority even so if your physicians aren't educating the consumers the patients about how many more factors come to play rather than family history how is a person supposed to come to that conclusion herself so in reality, the fact, as you mentioned at the top of the show here, is that 87% of all women with a diagnosis of breast cancer do not have a single first-degree relative with breast cancer, and about 80% don't have any relatives with breast cancer. Now, that's not to dismiss the fact that when you do have a family history of particularly breast cancer under the age of 50 or ovarian cancer at any age, that should peak our awareness that maybe an inherited genetic mutation such as BRCA is at play. And when you do inherit these mutations, it puts you at astronomically higher than population risk to get cancer. But when we look at all the mutations we know about, for breast, they're about 11. That accounts for 5 to 10% of all of the reasons for breast cancer, period. So that leaves us with 90 to 95% saying, well, where do those come from? Yeah. And, and pertaining to those, that group, you know, we've heard everything. I mean, we'll bust maybe a few myths or maybe they're true. Tell me. Uh, what about cell phones? Some females keep their smartphone there in their bra. And I've heard that for years that this is highly increases their odds of getting breast cancer. Is this true or a myth? 
That is absolutely a myth. So the electromagnetic fields that emanate from our smartphones just simply aren't high enough and strong enough to break DNA bonds. And that is also true of microwaves and television sets and radio waves So and, and of, of um, power lines in the home. So they're just it, – it feels like an easy fix. So it would be so convenient if, aha, tucking my smartphone in my bra is not so smart and that's all I have to do to not get breast cancer. It, it, that would be so convenient for all of us if we didn't have to work any harder than moving the phone like 10 feet from our breasts. But – like yeah, it or not, they have no association with breast no cancer as proven by the, you know, physics of what happens. Interesting. On the flip side, no. there are EMFs that are dangerous, and these largely come from the medical community in the form of CT scans and other medical x-rays, including mammograms. Um, so that's the magnitude of order we're talking about. Got it. So same thing, I guess, would apply for men worried about keeping their phone in their pocket because of testicular or prostate cancer. That's another big one that us men have heard. We've been careful with that, but probably the same thing applies. Exactly. It does. It's it's still all about the um, non-ionizing radiation from these EMFs is just too wimpy to break biochemical bonds. But the ionizing radiation, such as the sun's UV rays in addition mm -hmm. to medical x-rays, um, can and and explosions right um, like Hiroshima those that's the stuff we're talking about yeah. that is the type of radiation that leads to cancer yeah. interesting I know in your book you devote quite a bit to diet you know high protein diets are popular again and that means consuming lots of bacon and red meat and milk and advocates of these diets say animal foods are healthy and they actually help prevent cancer what's your opinion on high protein versus plant-based diets and how it pertains to breast cancer well, I'll tell you, I dove really deep into the nutritional literature when I was writing about what to eat and what to avoid for the book. And of all the things I went to write about, I really did know, for the most part, what I was talking about because I've been studying it and practicing it for two decades. Well, I went into the science literally to prove that the way that I ate was correct, thinking I had it down, which was largely Mediterranean diet, lots of lean meats, chicken, turkey, fish, so much sushi. My husband and I ate it probably three, four, five times a week. I'm sure I was radioactive. I did not want to check my mercury levels because I didn't want to stop eating it. And um, fruits and vegetables. But I, I'm a product of the 80s. I was you know, born in 69. So when I was in my prime teenage years, it was embedded in my brain that you wanted to avoid bread, rice, pasta, and potatoes. So I was a carbohydrate-phobe and I thought that made nutritional sound sense. So when I dove into the literature, because every fact I say in my book I wanted to be evidence-based and correct, right. I just went to prove it, and I started swimming around in all of these facts and realized how terribly wrong I had been. In, in point of fact, the cellular response to consuming animal fat and animal protein is almost entirely everything that fuels illness and fights against health. So in other words, you're flaming inflammation, squelching those free radicals. Um, I mean, but, sorry, you're, you're flaming inflammation and you don't have the, free, the, the ability to squelch free radicals, which then run around um, unabated, damaging DNA. Growth hormones go through the roof. Estrogen levels skyrocket. Estrogen feeds and fuels 80% of all breast cancers. So an excess is to your detriment. And animal protein creates something called angiogenesis, which uh, you know, but angio is, is uh, birth and genesis, the beginning. So uh, angio is blood vessel, genesis is birth or the beginning. So we've got the birth of these new blood vessels literally coming to these damaged, deleterious, 
cancer cells in order to bring them the nutrients they need and immediately sets up their exit pathway to lung, liver, bone, or whatever else is going to become your demise as a metastatic focus out there. How did it get out there? Through those blood vessels that animal protein makes your body create. Wow. So, so I was so blown away uh-huh. by the rock-solid evidence of how unhealthy the regular consumption of foods are, you know, literally any kind of meat, particularly red and processed meat, but all meats, chicken, turkey, fish, and milk, cheese, butter, eggs, um, so convinced by this that literally in a day, one day after, you know, I was deep into this research, I just walked downstairs, cleared the fridge out of four paper bags filled to the brim with animal products. My my therapy drawer with my manchego and my five-year-age gouda and my beautiful salmon filet that I had just bought, all of it into bags, brought it a mile down the road to my 85-year-old parents and said, here, it's too late for you. <laughs> We're vegan now. <laughs> What's your opinion on, on soy? That's something else that has been linked to breast cancer. Is soy something that you recommend or is that also out of your fridge? That is in my fridge and on my shelf. Let me tell you, I was so mistaken. So sorry about anything you may encounter that I said to the contrary. But again, here I go into the literature to write uh-huh. about why soy is so harmful, knowing, as most doctors do, very limited information, but this important nugget. And that is that soy contains phytoestrogens, phyto meaning plant, mm-hmm. plant-based estrogens that, and this is my speech from years ago, not today, I would say, you know, we don't know what those phytoestrogens those isoflavones, genistein, and soy do inside your body, but they look a heck of a lot biochemically, just like your real deal estrogen flying out from your ovary, feeding and fueling breast cancer cells. So how much do you like soy? Can you please just spit the miso out of your mouth? There's no more soy for you. That would be me talking to a high-risk breast cancer patient or a breast you know, patient who has an estrogen-driven right. breast cancer. So enter my moment of writing my book, going into the literature to prove with science and fact that I'm right about these isoflavones. And, whoa, very embarrassed about my last 18 years of preaching. Sorry about that, everybody. It turns out that not only is soy safe, but it exerts a protective effect on the order of a 60% drop in getting breast cancer for regular soy consumers And for those who have an estrogen-driven breast cancer, it drops recurrence by up to 60% and death by 29%. And there's even a significant 30% drop in estrogen-negative cancers, which means soy has anti-carcinogenic properties that go beyond the phytoestrogen because it can also stop cancers that don't care about estrogen. So... I mean, just to distill this down simply so people kind of really get, I don't understand why this would happen. We have two receptors for estrogen in our bodies, alpha and beta. Alpha is attached to the cancer cell. Beta, on the other hand, is preferred by estrogens in soy by 2,000% affinity or 1,600% affinity. So it hits the beta receptor. And what does it do there? It does two fascinating things. Number one, it shuts alpha down. So your own estrogens don't have the receptor to hit to fuel the cancer. And it goes out into the peripheral fat where we have an enzyme there called aromatase churning other steroids like testosterone into estrogen. So soy stops aromatase so you get less churning away and less estrogen from other precursors. It's really fascinating science, but the bottom line is two to three servings of soy a day, whole food soy is uh, advised not process because once you become an isolated soy protein, I don't know what happened to all that Mm -hmm. nutrient fabulousness, but whole foods, um, tempeh, miso, 
even you know, soy milk, tofu, edamame, soybeans, you want to strive to get a couple of servings a day. Really? Wow, you busted a big myth there. What about coffee? I've heard for decades it's harmful to the breast. Is this a myth or something you concur with? Oh, thankfully, because I love my sacred cup of joe, it is a complete <laughs> myth. In fact, mounting evidence suggests coffee might have a preventive effect. Um, that being said, it's not always a plus for your breasts in terms of increasing breast pain and breast cysts particularly mm-hmm. in young women with fibrocystic breast changes. But, but that is in cancer. So if, if uh, coffee doesn't hurt your breasts, uh, it doesn't hurt your, you to have, have a coffee. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's some great antioxidants in there. And another one is chocolate. That one that we've heard has got a bad reputation for being unhealthy for the breasts. But females love chocolate so much, even the name Hershey has the word her in it. That's not a coincidence. Don't take coffee away. <laughs> <laughs> is that really not a coincidence? That's that's a fascinating tidbit. Um, the uh, yeah, cacao, the chocolate is packed with these um, phytonutrients, right? Plant-based nutrients wow. called flavonoids and procyanidins. They have all these chemical-sounding names because they are chemicals and they exert a powerful effect inside your body. And cacao's chemicals actually. Um, can get an anti-cancer thumbs up because it delivers a lot of antioxidants throughout your body. Now, I will say I advise about 70% or more cacao when you look at the percentage. Less than that, and you're getting a little bit too much cocoa fat and sugar. It outweighs the benefit. So it's pretty dark, dark chocolate we're talking about, not milk chocolate. Right. So the lower could create some inflammation they want to watch out for, but the, the deep dark is the way to go, right? You got it. That's cool. What about, uh, we've heard about bioidentical hormones. Experts claim they don't cause any risk for developing breast cancer compared to the synthetic versions, which do. What's your view? Are they safe, bioidentical hormones? Unknown, TBD. The problem is they sound fancy and safe because they come from awesome things like yams uh, and other vegetables that I love and soy. Um, However, the bottom line is there has never been a randomized controlled trial on bioidentical HRT, so BHRT, versus, um, you know, placebo. And that is always the gold standard for deeming something safe. Despite the fact that they they sound so beneficial, um, and I hope they're okay because an estimated 33 million prescriptions are written annually for compounded BHRT, um, without studies, we really just don't know. And you have to think about how altered they are. Just like I was mentioning with soy, there's no really harmful data to say soy protein isolate is bad, but there's no data to say it's conferring all of the awesome health benefits of, say, a soybean. Similarly, what is happening to these yams when they're extracted and changed into various dosages and combinations of, of creams or pills or, you know, we just don't know if they've actually morphed into something potentially harmful, maybe even estrogen alpha receptor fueling. So. You know, my advice with women in menopause is not to be miserable, but to look for alternatives because there are quite a number of hormone-free alternatives, herbs, acupuncture, soy consumption, exercising regularly. And actually, I've, I've come across my favorite thing because it works so predictably is called Menopause Miracle. It's an Asian herb blend that is completely estrogen-free and both animal and human tested in randomized controlled trials. So it really works on a host of symptoms from hot flashes and night sweats to vaginal dryness and mood swings and insomnia. So, so, so try okay. other things. And if other you're still, things. you know, hot flashing your way to a divorce, then uh-huh. maybe a small, small dose of 
BHRT for up to four years would be acceptable to get you through a rough patch. Got that. I, I love in your book how you cover environmental toxicities. You know, I've done a lot of research on their link to cancer. Share with the listeners what are environmental toxins and how can they avoid them? Oh, this is such a great question. It, it, you know, environmental toxins are so ubiquitous, right? There are things such as radiation and industrial emissions and pollutants and pesticides in our food and countless synthetic compounds that we come in contact with daily from just opening the door to walk in a place to taking a receipt uh, from the cash register. There are these estrogen-mimicking compounds that can exist in these environmental exposures. So they, they actually, unlike the, the whole soy connection that we talked about, um, these really do exert an estrogen-like effect inside your body. And I will say uh, briefly back to the meat issue, the most potent synthetic estrogen on planet Earth, 100,000 times the potency of the BPA in plastic is something called Xeranol which is a synthetic estrogen injected into the ear of pretty much every conventionally raised cow um, in order to make it grow fat and fast so it can be, you know, 1,700 pounds in 18 months by slaughter time. So unless it's organic meat, you are probably ingesting Xeranol. Um, And that has actually been shown in New Jersey uh, 8 to 10-year-old girls that if they urinate, 74% 74% of them have xeranol in their urine. So it gets into our bodies and it can exert an estrogenic effect. Probably, quite possibly, the reason for a rise in precocious puberty. People, you know, going through puberty more toward 10 years old instead of the years, decades ago of 12 and 13. So back back to the environment, though. So the meat is in your environment, but we're really talking about brass tax stuff in your life that you can be aware of and therefore limit its impact in your on your health. So one thing you can do is um, get these detoxifying houseplants. There was a fascinating study by NASA um, where they figured out which household plants can literally absorb harmful toxins from the air, like benzene and formaldehyde that come flying off your couch and your stereo. You don't even realize these things are in the air. But they purify and detox your home. There are things like um, spider plants, which thankfully are hard to kill. So for someone like me, (laughs) spider plants is a good choice. Um, Mother-in-law's tongue, peace lilies, aloe vera plants. So check that that list out. I've got it in my book. You can Google it online, but it's fascinating how these plants can be such potted air purifiers for your home. Wow. And then you want to make better choices also about cosmetic products. You Anything with fragrances um, will have phthalates in them. Phthalates are also carcinogenic and estrogen mimickers. So try to find chemical-free um, soaps and toothpaste and use essential oils instead of fragrances. And um, one other really kind of ubiquitous thing uh, besides um, what we've talked about so far is um, the chemicals that land in your home in dust. So just simply dusting and vacuuming on a regular basis will zip up those chemicals so that you're not breathing them in so often. Wow. And plastics, of course, I mentioned it in passing, but BPA yeah. and plastics, you want to trade all that out for like glass, steel, or ceramic to store and prepare your foods. Um but 
BPA and dioxins will leach into your water and food through plastic. So you want to avoid all those. And and one plastic, one common plastic people don't realize that contains phthalates is your shower curtain. So people are inhaling and breathing, and it's getting this water after it hits this, this hot water hits these phthalates. So get phthalate free shower curtains. They're real cheap and get them on Amazon, Bed Bath and Beyond. But who would have thought, you know, we're talking and it's like, what? My makeup? My shower curtain? But you're right. These toxins, we have to be aware of them and we have to really play detective. Active, correct? We absolutely do. Um, yeah, and I think that it, I think of the risk factors for breast cancer, and really all if it causes breast cancer, probably causes almost any cancer. Yeah. Breast is um, more uniquely driven by estrogen, but beyond that, there are other drivers, and those will cause all illness in your body. And so, all of our major killers, be it um, Heart attack, you know, numero uno, one in 38 women dies of breast cancer each year, one in three of a heart attack. So we're much more likely to die of cardiovascular disease than than breast cancer, not to minimize that breast cancer is a true and present threat. But um, I want all of you healthy, and I'm not going to save your life from a breast cancer diagnosis only to find out that we missed your blocked coronary artery three years later, right? Um, So I do think of all the choices weighing in the balance of health and illness when it comes down to nutrition and alcohol and your weight and exercise and the hormone replacements and these environmental toxicities. The biggest boulders on that scale would be, to me, and through my research, nutrition and alcohol and exercise and obesity. And then things like hormone replacement and all these environmental toxicities um, and even mindset and emotions and spirituality and peace, these things are more the size of small rocks, so they definitely matter. They can definitely tip the scales. But if your major big boulders are sitting there... I, did, I just say this because I don't want people to totally freak out about a little pile of dust in their home. Right. It has a daily cumulative impact, but it's not the be-all, end-all of I'm going to die from something I could have prevented or not. But every little thing we can do is going to move us away from cancer and not toward it. And that includes cleaning up your home and environment. So eat your chocolate, dark chocolate, drink your coffee, but dust, ladies. Get that dust out of your house. Let let me ask you, we we flew flying by so quick. You work with Angelina Jolie, who made the decision to have a mastectomy after finding out she had the BRCA1 gene mutation. Share how common that mutation is, and should females get genetic testing? The BRCA gene mutation exists in one out of every 500 individuals, so men and women. The men out there are 50-50 chance of carrying this gene mutation, too, just because they're less likely to get breast cancer with it doesn't make them less likely to get the other associated cancers and or pass it on to a daughter who then has this high risk. So one in 40 Ashkenazi Jewish people with no family history, just across the board, that lineage from Eastern Europe is one in 40, everybody else one in 500. The people who should consider testing for this gene mutation and the others, so now we always do a panel test looking at a number of all the ones that cause breast and other things that are um, that particularly ones that we can watch out for, like colon cancer with more frequent colonoscopy if you're at high risk. So we do these panels that look at all of these genes. And here's the short list of people who should consider testing. If you yourself have had two relatives with breast cancer under 50 or one with ovarian at any age test, Ashkenazi Jews just need one of those, so one breast under 50 or ovarian at any age. I personally am under the opinion that all Ashkenazi Jews should test for this gene mutation. It's become so affordable. 
So whether or not insurance can cover it, it's information that could save your life. Um, but moving on, if you yourself have had breast cancer prior to age 50 or breast cancer in both breasts, if there's a known gene mutation in the family, if any men have had breast cancer. And finally, there's just a whole lot of cancers going on. So everything from breast and ovarian to colorectal, uterine, melanoma, prostate, and stomach, these are all red flags to consider testing. Fantastic. Great information. Boy, this interview flew by. So much more we could chat about. We definitely got to have you back. I want to thank you with sharing, you know, sharing such important stuff for us and the listeners. And to learn more about Dr. Funk, visit pinklotus.com. And this website offers a plethora of resources, everything from diet, recipes, treatment options, and recommended plans of action. Dr. Funk's book, Breasts, the Owner's Manual, is available everywhere books are sold. And you can follow her on Twitter. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dr. Christy Funk. For my daily health posts and tweets, follow me at Dr. David Friedman. And on Instagram, I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Dr. Funk share something today that somebody you know needs to hear, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to yourgoodhealthradio.com and radiomd.com. And peruse our podcast library and share these segments of interest with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself sharing is caring let's get the word out you can also subscribe to our podcast on iHeartRadio and itunes more to come stay tuned and stay well